Well, good morning. Uh, I, again, we, we are in this conversation back and forth. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so grateful for all who have led us uh, so far uh, this morning and um, glad that our pastor has this opportunity to be, to be away, he and Cindy. Pray that it's a time of refreshing and rejuvenation and uh, consideration for him. Uh, but it is a privilege for me to get to be with you this morning in this capacity. Uh, after 28 years, I've gotten to do this a few times, uh, and, and I am not called to preach. Praise God our pastor is. Uh, but I do appreciate very much a chance to share with you what, what God has placed on my heart. And I would tell you that uh, after being here for 28 years, uh, obviously First Baptist Church Arlington has had a profound influence on me, a very shaping influence on me. Uh, and, and Kim and our three daughters, and by extension, our five grandkids, and I'm pleased uh, that many of them can be here today. But uh, First Baptist Church of Arlington, Texas, is a very, very special place. And we're very, very grateful uh, that we have been able to be a part of it now for almost three decades. And we look forward to what God has in store for us moving into the future. Well, obviously, uh, tomorrow is July 4th. It is America's Independence Day, and it is appropriately a celebration of freedom. And as you have already experienced this morning, we, we are celebrating our freedom uh, as followers of Jesus, specifically this morning. But it's, it's good for us to know that uh, over the next 24 hours, there will be a lot of celebrating that takes place all around our campus here. Uh, 150 years ago or so, uh, God strategically positioned this body of believers in downtown Arlington. And even as Arlington has grown around us, our presence has, has evolved and expanded uh, literally around, around the world. But uh, tonight, with Light Up Arlington and at the Levitt and various places around downtown, there will be thousands and thousands of people gathered around our campus. And then, of course, tomorrow morning, uh, I do believe Arlington, Texas, still hosts the largest municipal 4th of July parade in America. Is that still true? Anybody? We haven't been bumped by another municipality, have we? So that, that's a big deal. And so tomorrow morning, again, thousands and thousands of people will be coming around our campus uh, to celebrate the freedom uh, that we have here in America. Well, as we talk about freedom uh, this morning, obviously freedom is, is very precious and it's very valuable, but it's also very easy to take for granted, especially if it's never cost you anything and if it's all you've ever known. If you've never had to sacrifice for your freedom or you've never been without your freedom, uh, it's very easy to take it for granted. And I would tell you that much like good health, uh, it's, it's easy to not fully appreciate your freedom uh, until it's lost. And so as we are considering the freedoms that we enjoy uh, this day and this weekend, uh, I think it's important for us to know that uh, not everyone experiences the kinds of freedom that, that we're experiencing. And so uh, there are different ways to experience freedom because there are different ways to experience bondage. And obviously as a nation, when we celebrate our independence, there's a certain uh, political freedom, a freedom of citizenry, of, of decision-making, of, of representative government uh, that we have in mind. Uh, but also, uh, there's a lot of other kinds of bondage. People all around us are in bondage to, to addictions, 
to abuse, to various forms of enslavement. And, and so their freedom is just as needed uh, and will be just as real when it's experienced. And so uh, I, I wonder this morning, have you experienced the joy of being set free? Again, if it's, if it's never cost you anything or if you've never been without it, you, you may not have experienced the incredible joy of being set free. And I wonder what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word freedom? What is it that you think of? Two weeks ago, we celebrated Juneteenth. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, this is something that's, that's on your radar. Uh, Juneteenth marks the day when the slaves in Galveston first learned that President Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. It took almost 18 months for that liberating, life-changing news to make its way to the people of Texas. And so a year later, on uh, June 19th, 1866, uh, Juneteenth became uh, a celebration in this nation. But you know who celebrated it best? Those slaves that had been set free a year before. Their freedom was very personal, very precious to them. And so all of us can appreciate it, but it meant the most of the ones who had been set free uh, just a year before. And so people all around us are, are seeking freedom, and we understand that there are different kinds of bondage, and this is where the gospel comes in. And so in John chapter 8, Jesus said that um, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Earlier in this service, uh, Charlie read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I hope that, that you this day are experiencing freedom in its many forms, certainly politically, but even more important spiritually, as you have been set free by the Son of God. And I would tell you this, for all its shortcomings, the United States of America is a great nation, and we are blessed and privileged to be a part of it. As many detractors and many naysayers, we can and hopefully will do better, but God bless America, and I'm glad to be here today. And truly, we, we have much to celebrate this weekend. Well, hopefully you're aware that uh, during the months of June and July this summer, we're going through this Recreate series, and we are trying to utilize uh, recreation in various forms to help us connect with each other and to enjoy just the, the summertime. But during this series, Recreate series, we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. And if we're honest, for many of us, it's a right challenging book. Uh, the actual term Ecclesiastes comes to us from the Septuagint, that uh, pre-Christian Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so uh, Koaleth, the teacher, uh, the one who's addressing the assembly, was translated Ecclesiastes. And so uh, that is the book that we have been studying. Now, uh, Ecclesiastes is part of this ancient Hebrew wisdom literature that's found in Scripture. And so uh, certainly Ecclesiastes is 
is that wisdom literature, Job, book of Job, uh, Proverbs, some of the Psalms perhaps, and the Song of, of Songs, which a lot of people wonder how in the world did that get in the Bible. All of this is, is ancient uh, Hebrew wisdom literature. And, and it's important to, to remember, and I think you know, uh, the ancient Hebrews, they had prophets, they had priests, they had kings, and they had sages. And perhaps the koaleth, the teacher, is, is one of the latter. Uh, this wisdom literature is designed to help us gain insight and perspective on, on this life. And specifically, as the, the koaleth says, the teacher says, seeking to understand life under the sun. And when he invokes that phrase, what he's talking about, that which is observable. He's, he's seeking to assess and understand uh, that which is observable around him as he travels and studies. He's, he's trying to make sense under the sun. And he's reflecting on a broken world from a limited perspective in light of God's majesty and sovereignty. So as we seek to understand uh, sort of the, the essence of, of Ecclesiastes, it, it recognizes that we're reflecting on, on a broken world from our, our limited human perspective, but it's done in light of God's majesty and his sovereignty. Well, our, our daily Bible readings, obviously through June, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and hopefully you followed along. Uh, we transitioned this past week, and in the, the month of July, we'll be uh, doing our daily Bible readings in the book of Proverbs. Again, this wisdom literature. Uh, and so the Proverbs that we're going into uh, make this statement. Uh, if, we, if you actually read this past week, then you read these words, that the Proverbs are for gaining wisdom and perspective, for understanding and insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for doing what is right and just and fair. Wisdom will protect you and understanding will guard you. Well, that's the, that's the truth uh, from Proverbs and from our reading this past week. And, and while those life principles are certainly true, uh, the koaleth, the teacher, offers a, a sobering contrast and, and a, a harsh contextualization of that truth. Because in Ecclesiastes, uh, we're told that life is a gift from God, and yet it's, it's relatively short. It's complex. It's uneven. Life is filled with enigmas and inequalities. Life is mysterious. It's paradoxical. Now, there is goodness and joy and celebration and love. It's what our pastors referred to these past weeks as those Edenic echoes, uh, whispers from the garden. Uh, but life uh, is also filled with evil and sorrow and pain and suffering, uh, what our pastors referred to as those discordant tones of brokenness or manifestations of the curse. So uh, in all of this, we believe that God is sovereign over all creation. He is in complete control and there is divine order, but it's not formulaic. It's not transactional. Uh, there's no guaranteed outcomes. There's, there's no easy justice in all of this. Uh, and yet, Coalette, the teacher tells us that righteousness 
is better than wickedness and wisdom is better than folly. So God has put eternity in our hearts, but we are sinful. Our perspective is limited and we live amid both blessing and brokenness with an eye towards eternity. So we must trust God because his ways are above our ways and he is always right and just. So uh, as we continue reading through this wisdom literature, uh, as we seek to understand true wisdom, uh, here's the starting point. Wisdom comes from God. We gain wisdom by living in union with God. Wisdom involves discovering and embracing God's perspective by listening to his voice and being attentive to his prompting. Reverence, knowledge, and devotion to God, this is the beginning of true wisdom. And as we think about wisdom, it's important to remember we're not talking about just accumulating information. We're talking about experiencing transformation. It's what the Apostle Paul talked about in, in Romans chapter 12, that we need to be renewed by the, the transforming of our minds and then applying that truth into our everyday life. So our knowledge of God and our relationship with God should inform every aspect of our existence. It should shape our worldview and our perspective on life. And I would encourage you, never, never judge God based on your circumstances. Always judge your circumstances based on what you know to be true about God. And as you pursue this godly divine wisdom, it's important that you understand this. God's wisdom is almost always countercultural. God's wisdom is never trendy or faddish. It never goes viral. God's wisdom is, is timeless and it's transcendent. So as you gain and apply wisdom, discovering truth from your relationship with your creator, uh, embracing God's perspective on things, it should inform your, your priorities and your practices. So how is your attitude and behavior being shaped by your union with Christ, your study of scripture, your yielding to God's spirit. In our church, we often use two concepts or models to help illustrate, but also help us evaluate kind of how we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish here. One that I hope is very familiar to you is the Psalm 1 tree. Uh, we talk about being a Psalm 1 church filled with Psalm 1 people. And, and our desire to, to, to live as a Psalm 1 person. In case you don't know, uh, Psalm 1 is engraved uh, along the baseboard in the sanctuary. I encourage you sometime, uh, not during the sermon, but if you show up early or stay late, uh, start right over here and work your way all around the sanctuary and see the words of Psalm 1 beautifully engraved in the baseboard of our sanctuary. So we wanna be Psalm 1 people. And what that means for us is it starts with our very identity. Uh, who am I in Christ? Who, who am I? Uh, and those are the deep roots that really support everything else about us. And then we ask, well, what is, what is God doing to me? And that represents the trunk as we 
develop a biblical worldview as we gain this wisdom, this, this godly wisdom and perspective on life. What's God doing to me? How is he shaping me and changing me? But then ultimately, what is God doing through me? Uh, those branches, that, that fruitful life, blessed people, blessed people. So, so how is God using me to impact the world around me? So I hope that's a very familiar model. And again, it's a way to illustrate what it is we're trying to accomplish here, but then to evaluate yourself. How, how am I doing? How are my roots, my trunk, my branches? Uh, is my identity secure in Christ? Am I cultivating a, a biblical worldview? And am I truly blessing the world around me? Perhaps a less familiar model is one that, that we use occasionally. It's called the FBCA way. And as you're gaining and applying this wisdom, think about these four areas. You need to feed yourself spiritually. You're responsible for uh, praying your prayers, for reading scripture, uh, for following Jesus. No one can do that for you. You need to feed yourself spiritually. You need to bless others generously. If we say bless people, bless people, that, that takes lots of different shapes. Uh, connect with others intentionally and then advance God's kingdom faithfully. So again, a way to illustrate and explain what we're trying to accomplish, but then a way for you to evaluate. How are you doing? Are you feeding yourself? Are you blessing others? Are you connecting with others and advancing God's kingdom? Well, uh, I, I did this uh, <laughs> towards the end in the last service, and my, my good friend David Stout suggested that I do it later then, but I, I want to call your attention to the fact that when we're talking about this ancient wisdom literature, and we're, we're going way back uh, to Job and, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, sometimes it's easy to think uh, that that's all left in the past, but I, I want to call your attention to the fact that in the New Testament, wisdom is beautifully explained and very practically applied in the book of James. Uh, the brother of Jesus uh, explains what this kind of divine countercultural application of wisdom looks like. And so I, I want to share with you uh, out of the first chapter of James, and I want you to listen to it almost as poetry, not unlike what we'll look uh, at a little bit later here in Ecclesiastes, but listen to this countercultural perspective. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let pers perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Countercultural, listen to this. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises and scorching heat withers the plant, its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord promises to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That'll preach, but we don't have time for that today. We need to move quickly to the sermon. So uh, let me let me do that. Uh, this morning, today's message is entitled, Redeem the Time. And this was assigned to me by our pastor, and I took it and did the best I could with it. Uh, but Redeem the Time. You'll recall that our Easter theme was Redeem. In 2022, we're looking at these various re-words. And during the Lenten season, uh, we looked at Redeem and God's great plan of redemption for his people and his creation. But what does it mean for us to redeem the time? Well, the, the King James Version translates two of Paul's admonitions to the early church with this particular theme. In, in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. So these verses suggest that for you and me, redeeming the time it isn't just for our sake. It's for the sake of the world around us who desperately needs you and I to redeem the time. When we think about time, the whole concept of time, uh, there's both a a quantitative and a qualitative dimension to it. Um, and Albert Einstein would tell us that there's a certain relativity uh, to time as well. And I think we, we all understand that. And, and it's easily described for most of us as, with all due respect, five minutes in the dentist chair having a, a tooth drilled versus five minutes on the sofa with somebody you deeply care about, two very different five minutes. 
and so there is a certain relativity uh, to time. But um, there's a now and a not yet uh, to our experience here on earth. And as followers of Jesus, I think especially uh, we understand that, that uh, we've been created for eternity, but we can only glimpse in part what God is up to. Um, we, we only perceive a, a small portion of what God is accomplishing. But you know what? That small portion affects everything. That glimpse that we have of, of what God is up to changes everything and impacts everything. Uh, one of my favorite verses related to all this is Proverbs 90, 12. Psalmist says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, the New, Inter, uh, New English translation puts it this way, teach us to consider our mortality so that we might live wisely. That's the, the big picture concept of all of this. Now our text today is in Ecclesiastes chapter three, is verses one through 11. And, and this is a pretty familiar text, uh, even for people who have no clue where it's found uh, in the Bible, because uh, the rhythmic cadence in this passage celebrates both the reality and the appropriateness of all kinds and types of, of human experience. So in, in these verses, we see joy and sorrow, uh, pleasure and pain, building and destroying. And the koaleth, the teacher, seems to imply that uh, we need to be discerning to understand these seasons and to rightly redeem the time. So this passage begins with life and death. And then it includes seven sets of 14 opposites that signify the completeness and the totality of life. Um, so the, the teacher isn't just affirming the appropriateness of all of these activities, but also the likelihood that each of us will experience pretty much all of them during the course of our life. So listen to Ecclesiastes 3 in the New International Version. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, a very popular version of this passage uh, was written by American folk singer and political activist Pete Seeger uh, back in the, the 1950s, and he wrote this as a protest song. 
and a lot of other artists covered this, uh, but uh, the birds back uh, in 1965, actually December of 1965, made Turn, Turn, Turn the number one song in America. And it's essentially this, this text. So listen to this version of Ecclesiastes 3. And I suspect if you're of a certain age, you'll hear the, the music in your head as I read these words. So you can kind of hum along to yourself. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of war, a time of peace, a time you may embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time for love, a time for hate, a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. It's all included in here, birth and death, planting and harvesting, killing and healing, tearing down, building up, weeping, laughing, mourning, dancing, clearing a field, building a wall, embracing, giving space, gaining, losing, keeping, throwing away, tearing, mending, remaining quiet, speaking up, loving, hating, making war, making peace. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? The human condition. And as the Word of God says, there's, there's a time. There's a time for all of it. As I said before, uh, there is a quantitative aspect of time. There's a, a qualitative aspect of time. There's a certain uh, relativity to time. Uh, but I, I want to make mention, the Greeks had three concepts of time. And it might help us to, to make note of that. It's more of a Western mindset. Uh, there's the aeon, which is uh, eternity. It's unbroken time. There's the chronos, that is uh, more the linear time. Our, our watches, our phones, it's, it's a chronology time. And then there's the kairos, and it's the one that we most often talk about here. That's the right time. Uh, it's, it's the seasonal time. And so uh, this morning, as we look at this text, it's probably best for us to have this sense of kairos and seasonal time uh, as we think about these verses, while remembering that certainly there is a, a chronos, uh, a quantitative aspect, as well as an eternal an aeon aspect uh, to this as well. So the teacher rightly and wisely goes to great lengths in Ecclesiastes to convince us that our ultimate fulfillment and meaning and purpose are not in power or pleasure or possessions. Our true meaning and purpose are in Almighty God and Him alone. And you know, that's essentially what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, if you remain in me 
you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing, certainly nothing of value. And so here's the crux of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes begins by declaring that nothing matters. Everything's meaningless. Everything under the sun has been done before and will disappear like a vapor. Pleasure, wealth, and achievement can never satisfy the human heart. Ecclesiastes concludes by declaring that ah, actually everything matters, even the ordinary everyday things, if we're devoted to God, mindful of him, and orienting our lives toward him. God is the one who gives meaning to life. So how do you and I redeem the time? Well, I think it's important for, for you to know that I believe all truth is God's truth. If it's truth, it's from God. And I believe truth is truth wherever we find it. In 1980, John Lennon released a song that includes the phrase, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. One way to redeem the time is to choose to live more fully in the moment. Our pastor talked about this last week. He referred to, to people with a wanderlust, never, never satisfied, always uh, looking for the next thing. Happiness and satisfaction are always around the next corner. And it's if only, or uh, as soon as, or one of these days, there's, there's never that satisfaction or contentment. And our pastor, pastor also encouraged us to learn to find joy and meaning in our everyday, ordinary lives. Learn to see the beauty and find the satisfaction in your everyday life. Because truly, today is all you have. You and I are not promised tomorrow. Today is all we have. So perhaps we need to slow down a little bit. Learn to experience God's presence throughout the day. Seek to process each encounter in light of God's majesty, his goodness, and his grace. I don't know if you're familiar with author Anne Voskamp, but I saw this quote and I thought it was very applicable. She says, being in a hurry, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me, I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry but a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands, lie in the wake of all the rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time, but it turns out I was throwing it away. We redeem the time one, one day at a time because we don't live in weeks or months or years. You and I live in moments. And, and if we learn to live each moment in God's presence, we, we will redeem the time. Uh, when you came in, hopefully you received a, a card, a little daily reminder card. And, and this uh, is a, a takeaway that I hope you'll use. If, if you wake up and you wondered what we talked about today, this may be a helpful reminder uh, for you. But it has two sides. The morning side is a way to orient your day. Uh, and as Tanner read uh, a little bit ago, led us in reading the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may remember back during the winter break challenge at the beginning of the year, 
we ask you to read the Lord's Prayer each morning uh, in a variety of translations. And we did that uh, in the hope that it would become more familiar to you if you didn't know the Lord's Prayer, but that you would get used to starting your way uh, that day. And the Lord's Prayer uh, can be prayed in different translations, languages, whatever. It's not some rote incantation with magical powers. It's, it's a way to orient our lives towards God and uh, an honest expression of anticipation and a yielding of ourselves to God. And so I have given you my paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer that I've learned to pray each day. If you want to come up with your own, I encourage you to do that. But it's a way to, to orient your day towards God. And as we say here, to, to remember your true identity in Christ. Remember, that's the roots that support everything else. To uh, reclaim your God-given purpose. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, in my family, in my community, just as it is in heaven. But then also to restore your natural rhythm. Sometimes we live in these uh, unending 24-hour periods and, and our circadian rhythm can get messed up. God established uh, a very profound rhythm in creation of day and night. And so starting your day orienting towards God, I think, is a great way to reestablish your God-given rhythm. Uh, the back side is, is for reflection. The evening side is for reflection. You may or may not be familiar with the prayer of examine, but I have given you, again, a suggested process by which you might reflect on your day. It begins by stopping whatever you're doing, orienting yourself towards God, uh, submitting yourself to God's authority, and then re reflecting on your day, repenting uh, as it's appropriate, uh, praying and praising God, and then uh, it ends with, with this relax. Well, next month, we're actually in July now, so during the month of August, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians together, and I hope you'll read it several times. But you'll be familiar with this passage in Philippians 4. Uh, we're, we're encouraged, don't, don't worry, don't be anxious, but instead pray about everything. And when we do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's how I would encourage you uh, to, to finish your day. So uh, take this with you. I, I, I hope it's helpful for you. I hope it's encouraging for you. Encourage you to use it. So uh, in summary, real quick, how do we redeem the time? Four points. First, each day matters. Every day matters. And it's, it's all we've got. We're not promised tomorrow. Second, God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, his grace is sufficient for all of our needs each day. Third, find joy in the journey. Uh, learn to appreciate small blessings. I, I've often said, if you can get excited about the little things, you're excited all the time. If you can be grateful for the little things, you're just grateful all the time. Learn to, to appreciate and to enjoy the journey and the little things. And then last, live continually in God's presence. Enjoy his company throughout your day. It's a choice and it's countercultural, but it's the right way to live. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, musical artist J.J. Heller, but she has written a song, uh, I See You, and, and I want to end with this chorus, it spoke to me. She says, every sunset is a stained glass window. Every park bench is a pew. There's a sanctuary everywhere that I go. When my eyes are open, when my heart is open, I see you. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you, and we do have so much to celebrate. And this morning, uh, my prayer for each of us is that we would desire and seek your wisdom, uh, that we would want to have your insight, your perspective on the human condition and on everything under the sun. And I pray, Father, that we would be prompted this morning uh, to redeem the time that you've given us uh, by living fully in each moment and being mindful of your presence. And as the, the Lord's prayer says, that, uh, that your will uh, would come and be done in our lives just as it is in heaven. May we be active in trying to help make that a reality. Uh, and as we celebrate freedom this weekend, God, uh, we thank you for all that we have as a nation, but even more what we have as followers of Jesus. May our freedom in Christ impact those around us. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.